Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are so glad you're with us. We're a Bible-based church from Ontario, Canada, and together we're on a mission to reach people far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Him. Well, here's something in the process. Standing with Jesus is never easy. It takes faith and courage to continue standing in spite of the difficulties and opposition we will face in life. In this message, we'll be reminded that our faith is not a one-time decision, but it's actually an everyday decision to stand with Him through the good times and the bad. With that, let's turn over to Pastor Nate with his message, Here I Stand. It's been, uh, it's been a great morning already, hasn't it? I love hearing the stories. I love hearing how those stories connect uh, to the people in our lives and to the church and to so many people who invest in one another. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, today, I wanted to... I wanted to share a message and speak uh, to the three individuals who are being baptized because I believe that baptism is more than just getting wet. It is, uh, these three individuals are taking a stand today. They're saying, this is who I am. This is who I follow. This is what Jesus has done and will do for me. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so today, the title of my message is, uh, Here I Stand. Three simple words. Can we all say those together? Here I Stand. Uh, so, so simple. Here I stand. And you know, in life, there are times when we have to take a stand. And we just witnessed three people doing exactly that. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to encourage them in their faith. But don't worry. If you're here and you were baptized 10 years, 20, 30 years ago, if you made a profession of faith as a child and you've been living out your faith all these years, I want to encourage you too. And if you're here today and you're thinking, man, faith is something that I'm really seriously considering and maybe my next step is to take a step of faith uh, then this is going to be for you as well. So I hope that kind of covers everybody. Here I stand. I want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to slowly walk through this passage. Uh, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. And he begins by saying this. Now, he says, I would remind you, brothers. I want to stop there. We could include sisters, mothers, daughters, aunts, everybody. He's writing to the church. And he's writing to the believers in Corinth. And he says, I'm writing to remind you. How many of you know we need to be reminded of things? Yeah. I've been married for 24 years, and my lovely wife still has to remind me of some things. You're wondering what they are. I'm not telling, okay? It's none of your business. Um, Might involve leaving clothes on the floor and dishes on the counter, but might not. Uh, After all these years of marriage, you think I would have it all figured out, but I don't. I'm a work in progress, just like you. And, um, and in the same way, uh, when we come to church, we need to be reminded of some things. If sometimes we want to come to church and hear something new. Hey, pastor, say something I haven't heard before. Show me a passage I've never thought about. Give me something new, something creative, something fun, and that's great. But honestly, most Sundays, we just need to be reminded that it's better to give than to receive. We need to be reminded to be kind and patient, and long-suffering. We need to be reminded to show love instead of hatred. It's like, well, it's all stuff we know, but we have to be reminded over and over and over again. So Paul says, hey, I'm writing to you to remind you of stuff you already know. And he continues by saying this. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel, which means good news, that I preached to you, which you received. So Paul says, when I came to you, however long ago it was, I told you about Jesus. And you in Corinth were probably like, who? Who? Jesus. Who's Jesus? He's the Jewish Messiah. Okay, why does that matter to us? Because he's the son of God. He's the one who created the heavens and the earth and created you. And he stepped out of heaven and into human history. Whoa. 
And Jesus, or, and Paul would have said to them, not only that, but he came clothed in flesh. And they would have said, where is, where is he ruling and reigning? Is he going to be the, and he'd say, actually he died. What? Why did he die? He sacrificed his life for you and me. He took our sins upon himself, upon a cross, and died the most excruciating death. And they're going, how's this story hopeful? Well, the good news is he rose again. And so Paul would have told them the story and said, the Son of God came, died, rose again, and everyone who trusts and believes in him can have new life, can have their sins forgiven, can live with him for eternity. And, and, and people believed. And Paul's like, remember, I told you this, this, the basics of the Christian faith, and you believed, and you trusted, and I am reminding you of that. But notice, he doesn't just say, in which you received, which is past tense, but he says this in the next part of the sentence. He says, in which you stand. And I want us to consider this for a moment because faith, this represents faith, by the way. I don't know if anybody caught that. It says faith on the front. Just checking to see if you're paying attention. Okay. So this represents faith. And a lot of times we think about faith as a moment, right? Like maybe you were five and you prayed a prayer with your mom or dad and trusted in Jesus. Maybe you're at a youth retreat and you threw your stick in the fire and said a prayer. There was a moment in your life. Maybe at 40, your family's falling apart and you cried out to God and something changed. And we think about that moment of salvation. We call it that, okay? And it's faith. And so for some people, faith is way back, or our salvation and faith is way back in the mirror. We're looking back on it as a moment in the past. Others are over on this side and they're thinking, maybe it's time for me to step into faith. But we're thinking of faith as a moment. But what I want you to understand is that Paul says, faith isn't just a moment that happens. It's something you stand in. Present tense. So if you became a Christian 20 years ago, you should still be standing in that same faith today. Do you understand? In fact, in the New Testament, we find them speaking about salvation in three different tenses. Past, present, and future. It says that you were saved, meaning Jesus has paid it all, done it all. Then he says you're being saved. We just read that. So God's currently actively at work in us. And we will one day be saved in the future Because we'll get new bodies and we'll be glorified with him in heaven. And so we're in the midst of a process of salvation. And we have a part to play, which is to stand in faith, to trust in him and to believe. And I want to encourage those getting baptized and those who have been and those who will be. That that faith is actually something you stand in. It's something you live in day by day. Baptism is a moment that leads into a lifestyle that is changed by the grace of God. Of God, He continues, he says, and by which you are being saved. And then he says this, finally, he says, if you hold fast to the word, I preach to you unless you believed in vain. So Paul says, listen, I don't want you just having a faith that was two years old. I want you to have a faith that is you're standing in in this present moment. And so I want to ask you, is that you? Are you standing in faith in this present moment? Are you still trusting Jesus? And that's the goal for each and every one of us. Let me ask you a question. What's easier? Is it easier to start a diet or to stand in the diet and keep going day by day? Just somebody shout it out. Which is easier? Starting is way easier, right? Is it easier to decide to work out tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. or to get up tomorrow morning and every day after that and work out at 6 a.m.? Which is it? Deciding is easy. What comes after matters. And deciding to follow Jesus is an important step, but what comes next matters every single day. Choosing to stand in faith every single day, choosing to be obedient and to take steps forward in our faith. That's what we want to do. Do you know, in the Bible, there's an analogy that's used through the Old and New Testament alike about the relationship that God wants to have with you. And the relationship, the analogy that's used throughout Scripture is that of marriage, a bride and a groom. 
And we're the bride, by the way, and he's the groom. And God wants to have an intimate, consistent, permanent relationship with each one of us. It's beautiful. And we use this analogy of marriage. Even if you're not married, you can understand the analogy. You can be single and understand this, right? When two people get married, it's the most, as far as I know, it's the most significant vow. It's the most significant human relationship that you can have. Because you have two individuals... Who, who claim love for each other, but they don't just say we love each other. They actually commit to stand with each other. They commit and they say, here I stand. You know, uh, I, I get the privilege as a, as a minister to, to be involved in lots of weddings. And I always love them. It's such a great moment of just all of it. And uh, sometimes I think people, and this is what I always tell young couples who are getting married. I say, I don't want you to think of your marriage as a moment. The wedding day is not your marriage. That's just the first day. And it starts with a bang. Right? That's what we want. Right? But how many of you know you can have a great wedding day and a bad marriage? Don't say amen. Don't look around. I'm just saying. Like, it's possible. Okay? And you can have a terrible wedding day. Like, everything can go wrong. The flowers don't show up. Your wedding dress rips. Like, all the worst things you can possibly imagine can happen. And you can have a wonderful marriage. For many people, you can have the first five years of your marriage is glory and bliss. And the next ten is pure hell. Okay? It's possible. And, and, and so what's crazy about this is you have these two individuals who are bold enough to make vows to one another that say, hey, they're standing facing each other in front of me. And they're basically saying to each other, here I stand through sickness and health, in poverty and wealth, through, no matter what comes. Right. We might have a few dollars today. Tomorrow we could be broken. It'll probably be my fault, but I'm still going to be standing here. You might get sick and I might have to care for you clean up after you and take care of the kids. And it's going to be frustrating. There are going to be days when we look at each other and we're angry, but we're going to keep standing here. Now, here's the thing. As imperfect, sinful human beings, we're making vows we may not even have the power to keep. But this is the image that God chooses, the relationship that he wants to have with us. And so he invites us to stand with him, to stand for him. And that's exactly what we do when we express our faith in him. So a couple questions I want to ask today. The first is this. What are you standing on? You see, as we proceed through life, we have to make decisions. We make decisions about how we spend our time and our money, who our friends are going to be, how we're going to pursue our career, all those types of things that we have. And when we make those decisions, we're using a belief system. We're using a foundation of some sort that we're standing on. And, and people in the world all have different things that they choose to stand on. Like I've got a couple samples that we can throw out. One of them might be success. You could say I define success as whatever it is, and you could pursue success. Here's the problem with success. It fades. Here's the other problem with success. Even if you define success and achieve it, your definition of success will change as you get older. True? Yes, it's true. And so your definition changes, so all of a sudden you've missed the mark. So we've got to find something that can be a solid foundation for our lives. We could say money, stuff, accumulation, that would be the foundation. But of course, money, stuff, it corrodes, it fades, it rots, it rusts, and it doesn't, it doesn't satisfy. We could say our family, family is a wonderful thing. We should love our kids and our extended family. But if your family is your foundation, you're on a shaky foundation. And so we have to have a foundation that's solid. Uh, one of the things I think that happens in our world today is people make their foundation for decision-making. It's a big, big couple words. Cultural consensus. And what that means is, if everybody's generally in agreement, this is probably right. Now, my dad taught me a long time ago, whatever everybody's doing, do the opposite. 
And you'll probably be right. Cultural consensus is interesting because if you go to India, uh, not in the not-so-distant past and sometimes in the present, they have a caste system. And if you're born in this family, you, you have high status. And if you're born down here, you're a servant with no way out. And we look at that in our Western mindset and we go, no way. Equal, free, equitable. We look at that and we go, that's, that's atrocious. But for hundreds and even thousands of years, it was cultural consensus that that was right. Guess what? Cultural consensus can be wrong. Even here in North America, just a few hundred years ago, people living in the South particularly owned other people based on the color of their skin, their ethnicity. Can we all agree? Not good? Horrible. But what's crazy to me is that there was cultural consensus around these ideas. And what's really crazy to me is we think we're right. We think we're smarter now. We figured it out. And I wonder if 100 years from now, Pathway 6.0, look back and go, they believe what? Which is why I think we need a foundation that's bigger than cultural consensus. We need a foundation that's bigger than stuff and, and accomplishments and all that stuff. In fact, I believe that the only good and sure foundation for our lives is, is right here. God's Word. Now, that said, there's some stuff in here we've got to wrestle with. And there's some stuff in here that's hard to figure out. It's an ancient book with an eternal message. And we have to wrestle with it. Uh, in fact, Jesus, uh, Jesus actually said this. He says in Matthew 7, verse 24, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, so you hear what God says and you do it. I love Nate's story. I heard it. I knew I had to do it. That is a step of obedience. Whoever hears my word and does it will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Okay? Something stable. Now, I want, to, I want to talk to you for just a moment. I, I ranted in the first service, and I'll rant again if it's okay with you. Is that okay? I got a couple nods, so that's permission. Um, I wanted to talk for just a moment about my job. Uh, my job as a pastor, the number one responsibility that I feel I have, according to Scripture, is to teach the Word of God. I've said this before. I'm not a scientist. I did one course in high school in biology. <laughs> so you don't want me checking your blood work. Not good. Um, I, I am not a politician. I don't, I don't know the lingo. I don't know all the stuff. Uh, I, I am not a, a geopolitical expert. I, I'm not uh, an immunologist. Like you guys, some of you in here know way more about me, about your particular field. My job in particular is to teach the word of God, which is why it becomes tricky sometimes because uh, sometimes people want me to talk about things that are outside my scope. One fun example, during COVID, People were like, hey, you should talk about vaccinations and encourage everyone to get vaccinated. Other people were like, tell everybody not to get vaccinated. And I'm sitting in the middle going, I took a one high school class in biology. I'm not talking about vaccinations. My job is to teach the word of God. I'm going to tell people not to be afraid. Because fear makes people do really silly things. And I'm going to tell people to trust in Jesus. I'm going to tell people to love and honor one another in spite of our differences. That's my job. So I'm standing teaching the word. And when it comes to things like geopolitics, hey, Right now in the world, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And I have to assure you, I have opinions on everything. You're just not going to hear many of them from the stage. <laughs> you can ask my family. You can ask my friends. Hey, he's got weird opinions about all kinds of stuff. Okay? And, uh, and, and, and just like you, I have opinions. I read stuff and I watch stuff and all that stuff. But, but my job in this pulpit is to speak the word of God. And so when I hear about what's going on with Hamas and Israel... It's tragic. We need to be praying for Israel. We need to be praying for families whose lives are being disrupted and lost and all of that stuff. 
And it, but when I, see, when I hear everyone talking about it, I'm also like, hey, did we forget about a war in Ukraine? Did we forget about starving children in Africa? Did we forget about what's going on in Asia? Like, there's stuff going on all over the world, and news likes to cover one thing. But here's the bottom line. At the end of the day, when I look at the Bible, you know what it says? Pray for peace in Jerusalem. You know what it says? God has a plan for his chosen people, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. Even though many of them have turned away from faith and away from the God who called them, he still has a plan for them. And we're all part of that. And so we pray and we intercede for it and we help wherever we can. Our job as Christians is to be light and salt wherever we can. Okay? So as a pastor, that was my rant. I'm done. It's over. I just wanted to share that because, again, sometimes... um, People want me to speak to everything and political things. Hey, have you heard about Bill C, whatever? Yeah, I'm researching it and I have opinions. But I'm only going to touch it when it connects to God's word. Okay? Um, So, yeah, I wanted to share that with you because I believe God's word is the foundation for everything we do as Christians. And I actually believe my job is the most important. I hope you feel like that about your job. But my job is to teach the church the word of God. And every Sunday there's five to six hundred people listening to what I say. That's so all I want to stay on my area of expertise. That makes sense? Is that cool? And if you want to talk about crazy opinions, i got lots. Let's talk over there after the service. So that's cool. Uh, so everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So you might be thinking, oh, that's great. Build my house on a rock, stable, smooth sailing, fair weather ahead. You're reading a different Bible. Here's what Jesus says in the very next passage. He says, and the rain fell. And the floods came and wind blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. Jesus doesn't say you won't have storms in your life. Jesus doesn't say if you get baptized, everything's going to be smooth sailing. Actually, what he says is you're going to be shaken. There's going to be some storms. You're going to get wet. It's going to be hard sometimes. But if you'll build your life trusting in me, build it on the word of God, you will not be shaken. You have a sure foundation in 1517, this man by the name of Martin Luther, I got an image we'll throw up. I don't know if this is actually what he looked like, but Wikipedia says yes. Martin Luther was a great reformer. Some of you know who he is. Um, he was in seminary, and he was, he was studying the New Testament, which was in Latin at the time, but he was living in Germany. So as you can imagine, the German people weren't able to read the Bible. It was in the wrong language. So he's reading the Bible in Latin and realizing that the church at the time, the Roman Catholic Church, which was a global church at the time, was teaching things that were either not in the Bible or totally non-scriptural. And he's going, this needs to change. And so he posts his 95 thesis on the door of the Wittenberg church. And he had 95 points. And what, he wasn't trying to start a new church. He was trying to reform the church so it would be in alignment with God's word. Okay? And so what happens is he takes a stand for what he believes is true in God's word and people get angry. By the way, if you ever take a stand for what is true and right, people will get angry. You should just be ready for that, right? If you stand up and they're all still seated, the view's not very nice for them. They're not going to like it. So we take a stand, and this is what happens. Uh, he's, he's brought to trial, and he stands before the most influential people in the nation, including the king. And the king tells Martin Luther, I want you to recant your position publicly. And Martin Luther uh, famously responds in this way. We'll put the quote up. He says, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I want to obey you. You're the king. But when you contradict scripture, I cannot. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. I therefore cannot and will not recant. And here's these three words. Here I stand. 
I can do no other. See, at some point in our lives, we got to make a decision where we're standing. For Martin Luther, it was like, I'm standing here. He ends up getting locked up so they won't kill him. And while he's locked up, he continues to write and he translates the Bible into German so the people can read it for themselves. He wanted people to have the word of God. We have the word of God. Most of us have four or five of these in our house collecting dust. We got them on our phone. You got them on Google. They're everywhere. You just need to read it. The word of God. It's so, so powerful. Martin Luther was willing to die for it. So what will you stand on? I hope it's the word of God today. And if you're getting baptized today, I hope that the word of God will be the foundation for your life moving forward. Here's the second. And there's only two questions. So I guess the final question. Are you prepared to keep standing? And I added the word keep standing. Because not only do you take a stand and say, I'm following Jesus, but you have to continue day by day, week by week, year by year, decide that you're going to continue to stand. Uh, Paul actually talks about this a lot. I'm going to look quickly at Ephesians. And in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, Paul talks about the importance of standing. And he says this in verse 10. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the strength. Why do you have to be strong? Because it's going to be hard. And where do we get the strength? We get it from the Lord. Did you know that your strength to stand in faith actually comes from the God you're trusting in? And you stand in his strength. That's what, that's what Paul is going to tell us. We're standing in his, his strength. And throughout history, men and women have stood up and stood faith. Some of them died and they did it often alone. But the crazy thing is, is when someone stands up for God, even if they're alone, they're never alone. Because when we stand for him, he stands for us. When we stand for him, he stands with us. That's why we stand. So he continues. He says this in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, if you've been around here a while, you know, I, I don't talk about the devil a lot. I'm not like, hey, my transmission broke. It's the devil. Hey, I owe taxes this year. The devil got me. I don't, it's, I don't, I don't, I don't think in those terms. But at the same time, I also understand that we do have an enemy and he is at work. And you know when he's actually at work most in your life? It's not when you're busy doing the things you love. Like if you've got hobbies and sports and family and vacation, he's like, awesome. Great. Keep doing whatever you're doing. But the moment you take a stand for Jesus, the moment you take something from Scripture and try to apply it to your life and obey God, oh, you get his attention. And in he comes. Jesus, in his, in his parable of the sower, says he comes to steal what was sown. He comes to take it away. And so we do have an enemy that is trying to oppose us, especially when we take steps of faith in the direction of our Lord. He continues in verse 12. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So our problems are not just our family. Can I just point that out? Because we all have problems with our family, but it's not just flesh and blood. It's not just the people around us. There's, there's more to it. But against rulers and authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And the thing that I think Satan would love most, he would love most for us to think he doesn't even exist. Because then he can work without resistance. He would love for you to think that when you're fighting with your teenager... That it's just you and your teenager, and there isn't anything spiritual going on. That it's just you and your spouse. It's just you and your boss. 
it's just the political leaders are bad people. It's, it's just all this. Like we just, he just wants us to simplify it all to bad people, bad problems. But there is more going on behind the scenes. Do you know that when we wrestle with others and we experience conflict, that often it is, you're actually fighting a spirit of pride, anger, lust, selfishness, evil motives of every kind. You, you, you guys understand what I'm saying? There's stuff behind it, right? When one nation invades another, it, sometimes it's greed. We want to take their land and stuff. Sometimes it's retribution and anger. But there's a spiritual component behind that. And you know what the crazy thing is? When Jesus came, what did he talk about most? Anybody know? We had a few random guesses in the first service. Some people said the kingdom of God. He talked a lot about that. Some people said money, because Jesus talked a lot about money and stuff. But I would say that the number one thing that Jesus addressed was the heart. Because when he talked about money and when he talked about the kingdom, it all connected back to the heart. That Jesus' goal in coming to the earth was actually to transform the hearts of human beings. Because if he came and hit pause on all the wars and pause on the famines and pause on everything, but didn't change our hearts, it would all resume the moment he stopped holding it back. God came, Jesus came to change hearts, to transform us from the inside out. It's incredible. And so we need to realize that we have an enemy and there's work to be done. And we move forward. And then he continues. He says this, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. In a moment, I'll show you a picture. That you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day. And having done all to, say it with me, stand firm. So again, Paul's got this idea of like, hey, faith isn't just something you did. It's something you stand firm in each and every day. In fact, he says, get yourself ready just like a Roman soldier. we got a picture of a Roman soldier. I'm sure many of you have seen something like this. Leave it up for just a sec. Uh, we got this Roman soldier image up there. And uh, everyone in the Roman Empire that Paul would speak to would know what this looks like. They were everywhere. Okay? And everyone would understand. These Roman soldiers didn't just put on this gear and haphazardly walk into battle. They trained. And they trained the thrust, the block, and they had formations and all of this stuff. So they prepared for battle. You could take it down now. They prepared for battle. And Paul's making the same analogy. like, you and I need to be ready. To stand in our faith. Because there are going to be challenging days coming ahead. Let me uh, quickly share with you some of the things that he points out uh, as we continue in Ephesians 6. He says, to put on the belt of truth. The Roman belt held all the other armor in place. The breastplate of righteousness. Do you know that when we live right and we choose to do the right thing, it actually protects our heart? Shoes or the readiness to share the gospel. Right? That we're ready to not, we're not just standing in a corner for Jesus, but we're actually ready to share our faith with others. The shield of faith, which will protect us from the fiery darts of the enemy. The helmet of salvation to protect our thoughts. You know, Satan's the king of lies, man. If he, if he can get you to believe God doesn't really love you, you've sinned too many times, he'll never accept you back. You'll walk away from God because he can't take you away from God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So as I wrap up, here's what you might be thinking. Because this is what I'd be thinking. You might be thinking, that's really great, Nathan. That's a, that's a challenge. I need to stand in my faith, you know, real secure, make the word of God, the center of my life, the foundation. That's all great. But it sounds like you're saying to me that it all depends on me. It's all my effort. It's all my work to stand and be faithful to him. And that's not what I'm saying. In fact, the exact opposite is true. That we stand in our faith because he stood for us. And the truth of the matter is, we're invited 
to do everything in our power to stand in faith and to move in his direction and to be obedient. But we know without a shadow of a doubt that we will falter and we will fail. But I'm so thankful that we have a God who never fails. You with me? One of the reasons why I love the Bible so much is because I read stories about real people like you and me. Even the great patriarchs of faith, Abraham and Sarah, who just such great faith to trust God when they could see nothing. But they also failed and faltered and tried stuff on their own, caused all kinds of damage. Isaac and Jacob, the same deal. You move down the storyline of, of, of the biblical history and you find Moses, right, who is this great man of faith who messed up. And then you see David, a man after God's own heart, who kills an innocent man and steals his wife. All through the Bible, great men and women of faith who believed and trusted God failed. And that actually encourages me that there's hope for somebody like me and someone like you who won't get it right every single time. When we get to the New Testament, there's this great story of Peter. And everyone knows about Peter. He's always saying stuff. In fact, Peter's always the first guy... Standing up for Jesus, right? No, you're not going to die. I'm getting out of the boat. He's always first. He's always taking a stand for everything. Usually wrong. And on the night that Jesus is betrayed, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And they're all like, who? And then Jesus says, actually, all of you are going to abandon me tonight. And I'm sure every disciple in that room was thinking, no, no, not me. Except Judas. He knew he was going to do that. But Peter's the one that stands up. and He's like, no. Jesus, I will never abandon you. I'll never betray you. I'll die with you. And Jesus is like, Peter, Peter, Peter. You'll deny me three times tonight. And that's exactly what happens. And I have to imagine that Peter felt the same way that you and I do sometimes when we make promises to God that we can't keep. When we say, I'll never do that again, and we do it again, and we find ourselves in that same place. And in that moment... Peter could have just walked away. But Jesus said in Luke 22, Jesus has this side conversation with Peter. And he says, hey, Peter, guess what? Satan is actually asked if he could sift you like wheat. You think your faith is strong? Satan's going to shake you. He's going to shake you so hard you won't know where you're going to be. But Jesus says, guess what? I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail. I've prayed. Satan's going to, he's going to huff and he's going to puff and he's going to try to blow you away from your faith. But I've prayed for you. And he says, and when you return, encourage the brothers, encourage them, which I think is so encouraging. And I want you all to know that my prayer for you is pastor. That I'm praying that your faith would not fail. Because I know for certain there's an enemy that's going to try to shake you. These people that were baptized today, I'm telling you, there's going to be challenges in the next few weeks and months. I was talking to Dave in the first service. He got baptized last time we did baptisms. And like in the month that follows, he kept messaging me. He's like, oh boy, the devil saw my baptism. (laughs) It's getting rough. But he understood that what God has planted in you that's going to bring life to you, your family, and to the world, and into eternity, he wants to steal it. And for those of you who got baptized today, let me tell you, Satan wants to steal what God has planted in your heart, but don't let him stand firm. And even if you fail and you falter and you question, I've prayed for you, but even better than that, Jesus has prayed for you, that your faith wouldn't fail. And for those of us who have struggled and returned, encourage one another. 
That's why being vulnerable is so important. Hey, I messed up. Hey, I struggled with that for years. Here's where I'm at. Here's how Jesus is helping me. That's the best thing you can share with somebody because it gives them hope. I want to finish with one last story. I promise it's the end. It's called The Stoning of Stephen. And I was reading this and something leapt off the page that I think connects with everything we've been saying. In Acts 7 and 54, um, Stephen is being stoned. He just told all the religious leaders that they killed Jesus and they killed the prophets and that they need to repent. And they were not happy about it. It says this, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. That's Greek for really angry. Verse 55, but he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And it says, Jesus, what? Standing at the right hand of God. Whenever it talks about Jesus in heaven, we always see him seated at the right hand of the Father. And as Stephen stands firm in his faith, even in his death, when he looks up into heaven, he doesn't see Jesus seated. He sees Jesus standing to receive him. And here's one thing I can assure you. I can't assure you everything's going to be easy going forward. But what I can assure you is if you stand for him and if you build your life on his word, he will stand for you and he will be there every time. And you and I will fail him, but he will never fail. And if that's true, then what else can I do but say, here I stand? What else can I do? I stand and I keep standing and I keep standing. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for every person listening to me today. Thank you for these three individuals who are baptized this morning for Caleb and for Nate and for Grace. God, we as a church surround them in prayer. We pray for them, God, that in these next few weeks and months, their faith will become rooted deeply, that the decision and the profession they made today would grow strong and that their family, friends, and church would surround them and support them. But most of all, God, we know that as they stand with you and for you, you stand with and for them. And you're the God who never fails. Lord, if there's anyone in this place who's never taken a stand, I pray they do it today. If they've wandered from you, God, I pray that they would just humble themselves and come back home. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that you are faithful in everything, in every season. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Like Jason's going to lead us in a quick chorus, but before he does... Um, we're going to end the service here, and if there's somebody here who needs prayer, who wants to talk, because again, we stand in faith, but we don't have to stand alone. And so I want to encourage you, whether you come and talk to me, or one of our pastors, or staff, or if you talk to somebody you trust and ask for prayer today, I want to encourage you to do that. So we'll end with Jace leading us in this uh, course a couple times. Thanks all for being here next Sunday, Mission Sunday. Come on back. We'll see you then. Thanks, everyone. Hey, that's it from us. Thank you so much for joining. Please stay connected with us. Be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's Pathway Church PTBO. Hey, God is at work in this world, and we feel so blessed that we get to be a part of what he is doing. Have a great day wherever you're at, and we hope to see you soon.